This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It is indeed. Sandy Clough is on my left. I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for joining us today. The Denver Broncos preseason rolls along as this weekend they will get the San Francisco 49ers. You know it's preseason because the Broncos had a difficulty, let's say, in losing to the Arizona Cardinals, a team expected to be one of the worst, if not the worst, in the NFL. I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, here come the Niners. Who got clobbered by the Raiders in preseason week one, further proving that preseason means nothing. Nevertheless, Sandy, these are, after the loss in, in week one, I don't know if the win or loss means all that much, but you definitely want to play, I think, a better game versus a better opponent, specifically when the starters are in. You've talked about the challenges on offense that the starters had, leading to them staying in for the majority of the first half last week. Well, they stayed in the majority of the first half last week, even after Arizona had substituted out its first defense, which isn't much better than most teams' backups on defense. And against, really, an atrocious Arizona second-team defense, they did manage, although barely, to work their way into the end zone. It took a fourth down conversion on the touchdown pass to do it. And the Broncos continued uh, a pattern, which is what I've been trying to get at throughout the week, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. The idea that this is a continuation of what we saw last year. And I go back on preseason to the John Lynch statement made years ago that preseason doesn't count, but it does mean something. And if it reinforces impressions, not impressions over just one year, impressions over six years, seven years out of the playoffs, I don't know what other conclusion you're supposed to reach. And I'm a little disappointed in uh, the coverage that I read about both locally and nationally. And again, I'm generalizing. I'm not... uh, scapegoating any one person, and I'm not saying this applies to everybody. But, boy, do the Broncos get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs for seven years and has had six straight losing seasons, uh, the likes of which we have never seen from the Broncos, at least as an NFL franchise, this is as bad a run, uh, virtually as bad a run, as they ever had over any six-year stretch of losing in the American Football League. Uh when, in fact, over 10 years, they never had a winning season. They had one 500 season and nine losing seasons. They were the worst team in the American Football League. This team is not much better than that. Just because the faces changed all the time, nobody in the 60s thought the Broncos were any good, and the faces changed all the time then, too. Coaches changed, coordinators changed, quarterbacks changed, running backs changed, receivers changed, uh, offensive linemen changed, defensive linemen, you get the idea. Everybody changed out year after year after year. And they were all terrible, although the Broncos had some ring of fame talents who played during the 1960s. They weren't lacking in individual star power. I mean, the best running back in the American Football League was Cookie Gilchrist, the 10-year history of the American League. Jim Brown said Cookie Gilchrist was about as good a runner as he had ever seen. The Broncos had Cookie Gilchrist Mm -hmm. for a while. They still stunk. The problem I I see with all of this 
is that with, again, some exceptions, that there's a feeling that last year was all Nathaniel Hackett's fault. Once you got rid of Hackett, problem solved. And especially when you brought in Sean Payton, well, for sure all problems are going to be solved. And I, I, not saying if they look great the other night, we'd be saying, oh, all right, 10 to 12 season uh, of, of wins, which would be a first since the Super Bowl season of 2015. Here we come. And I'm not discounting the possibility that the ceiling for this team seems to me right around 10 wins. I, I mean, that's possible. It's also possible uh, that they could go 7 and 10. Chet Legwell went even further today. He said the ceiling was 11 and 6, but the floor was 6 and 11. And if you've read Jeff Legwald, who is one of the good guys mm-hmm. in our business, throughout the preseason, Jeff Legwald is leaning more towards 6 and 11 as a possibility well, than 11, 11 and 6. And six. Yeah. Okay. He's clearly going in that direction. My point about the red zone is this the Broncos did not enter the red zone the other night. Last year, they were in the red zone 36 times. That was by far. The fewest times in the league. 17 games, 36 trips to the red zone. That is dark. After 13 weeks, they were dead last in touchdown percentage in the red zone at .375. One of the fluky stats, and there are always fluky stats out there, was somehow over the last five weeks of the season, the Broncos went from 37.5% to finish the year at 55.6% on touchdown rate. 20 for 36, but the big number is not the 20. It's the 36. No team, no respectable team gets only 36 red zone opportunities over a 17 game season. There isn't any such thing. And when Sean Payton points out quite accurately that if you look at the top 10 red zone offenses in the NFL, you generally find a whole lot of playoff teams in that top 10 list. Last year, there were eight. Eight of the top 10 red zone offenses made the playoffs. In 2021, it was nine of the top 10 teams in the red zone made the playoffs. So there is a correlation. But to be good in the red zone, and I'm reading a whole lot of stuff about how Javante Williams is the answer to all the red zone problems and among the many excuses the Broncos had last year for being at least a lousy running team in the red zone. And that's a diagnosis that the current coach certainly has made. Well, it was because Williams was gone after week four with the ACL tear. Oh, it's Garrett Bowles gone for 12 games. Oh, it was Melvin Gordon's fumbling. Yes. Melvin Gordon fumbled in the red zone. Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon fumbled all over the field. Didn't matter if it was the red zone the area between the 20s, inside his own 20, he was a fumbler. It took Nathaniel Hackett and, yes, George Payton about six weeks longer to cut Melvin Gordon last year than it should have taken Denver to cut. Melvin Gordon should have been cut after week one when he bitched about his playing time. So I, I think people have grown weary of all the happy talk And there still is a lot of it, not so much from the head coach, but still a lot of happy talk about how they're going to be great in the red zone. Well, could we see you get there? (laughs) 
a, a few times here in the preseason. Would that be too much to ask? Well, uh, Sean Payton was asked today about the expectations for the offense going into this game against the Niners. Here's what he said. You know, you want to see the execution. Um, you know, you want to see a flow and a rhythm to the game. And ultimately, you want to see touchdowns. I mean, you know, that that's the main objective when you're playing on offense. A um, little bit better in protection. Um, just a lot of the details that, that we looked at from a week ago. I would contend a, a little bit better in protection needs to be a lot better in protection, but the rest of it, pretty hard to argue about. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's almost, it is, it's coach speak, but it's almost kind of funny given the painting that, that you just created. The idea that Sean Payton has to point out uh, getting touchdowns is something you try to do when you're on the field. I mean, <laughs> Okay, uh, you know, and obviously he knows that, but I mean, the, yeah. But the fact that he even mentions it, I, I think better I yet, think touchdowns a, against first team. It's the, the other it's the subtext. Yeah. There's a subtext to that when when a, a coach certainly knows that mentions that he's got an audience he's speaking to through the media, and it's not you and me, and it's not the fans listening to this program. It's his own team, and that part is kind of interesting as well because yeah, I think it's very clear. We would like to get into the end zone, and we to do it, as he pointed out, you almost take that quote and turn it inside out. We want touchdowns. How do we get touchdowns? Better protection. How do we, if we get better protection, then we have better execution. You almost flip that, that what he just said, and he's then that's kind of the order in which he means it. Well, I, again, I want to clarify, because some people may have mistaken the context. I'm talking about the first team offense. Right, right. Not getting in the red zone. Well, the second team, I don't care. Second team offense. Uh, I don't care well, about the yeah. second team offense Nobody or the does, third really. team offense. They're not the guys who are going to be playing. Right. The Even the, the coaches year. don't care that much. I don't care what they did. Now, uh, was the, the third team in the red zone? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That, that's great. And McLaughlin ran one in for a yeah. touchdown. Do you think to the Cardinals think they're going to gonna make the playoffs because their third team offense ripped through Denver? Like, you know, no, no, tissue paper? Not. Probably not. not. But what I'm saying is, is again, the numbers, not just from last year, but in previous years, the Bronx has not been a great red zone team. So much so, and you made this point earlier this week about the 2015 World Championship team being a bit of an outlier in that it was not a good offensive team by any measure. Uh, Peyton Manning, all-time great, won his last game, mm -hmm. happened to be a Super Bowl, can't finish off a career any better than that. Nope. And we've seen that happen a couple of times. Once with John Elway, who actually won a second straight Super Bowl to close out his career. The only two quarterbacks in the history of the NFL to he win. He went two for two. And right off to the sunset. Right. The only two quarterbacks ever. That's right. Still. That's right. The Broncos in 2015 were 28th in red zone offense. <laughs> Bottom five. But their defense was so good, including in the red zone. Mm-hmm. That they won a Super Bowl. Right. Being one of the five worst red zone teams. Sean Payton is telling us, again, correctly, bottom five red zone offensive teams generally don't even make the playoffs, much less win a Super Bowl. Right. All right? Not anymore, they don't. Russell Wilson last year, on end zone plays, completed less than 49% of his passes. That was the second lowest in his career. I was surprised at I'm surprised See, there the wasn't a loss. Right, yeah. Seven touchdowns. That is a career low 
which until last year had been 13 back in 2014. Right. Last year, seven wow. touchdowns passing. He was the 21st of 33 qualifying quarterbacks in expected points added per red zone dropback. There's no way to sugarcoat. Russell Wilson is the sultan of sugarcoating, but there's no way to sugarcoat that, especially as measured against his 2021 numbers, seventh in the league, 2020, 10th in the league, 2019, which is really his last great full season. He had a first half that was great in 2020, then he tailed off. 2021 was kind of disrupted by uh, the finger injury, and then it took him two or three games to get back into rhythm once he came back into the lineup. It did feel it's his defense. He was was kind of rushing back because they weren't eliminated from the playoffs. He was still good in the red zone. Effective, yeah. And when I say, and I've, I've said this online too, and I haven't gotten a response that's really made much sense. At this time a year ago, people were still saying, even though Russell Wilson was clearly not going to play in the preseason, along with most of the Denver starters last year, most, not all, but most, did not play a single snap in the preseason. When it came to red zone offense, hey, Nathaniel Hackett thought that was important too. And, Understanding that Nathaniel Hackett did not call the plays in Green Bay Mm -hmm. from 2019 through 2021, his three years as offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, the Green Bay Packers are number two in the NFL in red zone offense. In those same three years, Seattle was number three in red zone offense. And you're saying this isn't just a marriage of convenience between Hackett and Wilson. This is a marriage made in heaven. Wilson's at least in red zone heaven. He's capable of it. We've seen it. Right. Right. It was a farce last year. The most embarrassing Bronco moments offensively. And there were a bunch of them happened in the red zone. A vast majority of the bad moments happen in the red zone. So, uh, yes, Peyton in New Orleans, 15 years coaching, nine times in the top 10 in red zone efficiency, and he was ranked 11th with his Saints three other times. So again, if Russell Wilson's red zone woes are going to get fixed, Sean Peyton seems to be the fixer, but we thought both Hackett and Wilson were great at red zone offense a year ago at this time, and then when they weren't, People forgot that that was ever mentioned. Hackett was obviously miscast as a head coach, and we're not going to relitigate that. But uh, not surprisingly, Sean Payton, when asked about this week and what he's looking for, uh, Russell Wilson was um, amazingly brought up. Man, his movement skills uh, have been impressive. So his off-schedule plays, every practice, you know, you, you see an example, one or two, and and it really forces the receivers then to get in concert you know if you're not open in the initial route progression and the pocket moves one way you got to move with it um his his location's been really good i I think the last week and a half two weeks have been um really impressive now i i get that it's i get it it's it's easy to pick on russell wilson here and there are things to pick on but i think it is interesting taking peyton's quote into context pointing out that behind Cortland sutton and jerry judy now that Tim Patrick is out, 
Marvin Mims has still not been able to really get any traction. Besides Marquez Callaway, who he's familiar with, of course, with New Orleans, there's a lot of who knows in the Broncos receiver depth. Brandon Johnson had taken some of those snaps from Tim Patrick and then got hurt. I think it is interesting that Peyton did hint that, you know what, a receiver's you have to keep moving, by the way, guys, because that's part of the equation, too, and maybe one of the parts in which uh, all the discussions with Russell Wilson, it's not necessarily to uh, remove all the responsibility from Wilson, but I think there is the reality that multiple parts of the machine have to be working at the same time and in the same facet for the engine to work. And I, I find it intriguing. I hadn't heard Peyton split the passing game apart quite that way yet as he did in that quote. Here's what I find at least slightly, slightly disingenuous about it. He's talking about off-schedule plays. Sean Payton's history is he hates off-schedule stuff. Off-schedule stuff leads to turnovers. Well, is it possible that with Russell and Wilson, they've met in the middle a little bit, trying to figure out not what Not according Wilson does to Joe best? Lombardi, uh, who said yesterday about Wilson, it's trying to find that right balance because he's made so many plays off schedule and you don't want to lose that but. And but is the key word here. Also, make sure we're, he's not, he's careful, he's not just saying Wilson, we're finding the plays when things are going right and not bailing out too early. Yeah. Now, why would he say that if Russell Wilson wasn't doing it? There'd be no reason to talk about bailing out early. But that's what you do, and that's the story of Russell Wilson's career, largely successful in Seattle when he did bail out, and he did run around, and he did make plays, and... A good part of his reputation is based on playing off schedule in a way that few, if any, other quarterbacks do. And my point would be, as the years advance, that's something most quarterbacks who had that skill, including people like Steve McNair, who famously told Jeff Legwald once upon a time when Legwald said, why don't you run anymore? Used to be the best running quarterback in the league. His response was brief. It hurts too much. I don't run anymore. It hurts too much. And I'm too old to be taking that kind of pounding that I could take five or ten years ago. And we're, we noticed Russell Wilson had more injuries last year when he did run. Even late in the year when he ran somewhat successfully, he got concussed. So it, I, I think what they're gently trying to hint at is that things are totally different now and breaking bad habits ain't going to happen during the course of a training camp. And it may take a few weeks into the season, regardless of what kind of sunny picture is painted by Russell Wilson, it's probably going to take, and I, I, I'm not saying this in a snarky way. I'm saying it in a realistic way. It'll probably take a few weeks into the regular season before he rids himself of all his habits. You pointed to the fact that on all but one of his throws, he stayed in the pocket Mm -hmm. the other night 
uh, that was fine. I think largely it was because he wasn't able to bail out. The rush was on him so fast. He had to stay in there. And under the circumstances, you could argue that there were, I guess the best way to say it, there were extenuating circumstances the other night, namely the pass rush pressure he was under. And that's the chief thing that the Broncos have to watch for on Saturday night because they'll be seeing more of the San Francisco number one defense. And that defense is a hell of a lot better than the one they saw last Friday night in Arizona. I don't think things are, I, I don't, I don't think they're perfect, but I think they're not quite as, as black and white as, as that quote insinuates. I think there are positives to take out of that as well. I don't think it's necessarily condemnation. I'll explain why next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The idea that Russell Wilson needs to break up bad habits is not new. Uh, even prior to last season, Sandy, you and I talked about this. Uh, and, uh, nobody envisioned. We, nobody we did. Envisioned the season ourselves included. So I'm not going to say at this point we saw this coming. We did no, not. No. But we no. did point out on a couple of occasions that Wilson was going to have to make some concessions to age, primarily about his career track of sacks, uh, of averaging over three a game over the course of his career. Absolutely. That, that was going to have to come down. He, he was going to have to get rid of the ball faster. He was going to have to avoid rolling out to the sideline and waiting for guys to get open. Those, I think, were bad habits that he needs to cut back on purely because of just age. If you want to continue to play as long as Russell Wilson said he wants to play, you had to cut back on those. He did it. And those are going to take a while to get out of his system because, as you pointed out in the last segment, he's had success doing it over the course of his career, even though there's been some physical cost. This year, we're going to find out how much of that decline has been because of a physical cost in a way we didn't last year because he's getting coaching that has expectations for him, something he did not last season. But the quote that you read by Joe Lombardi, the Broncos yeah. offensive coordinator, points out that they were trying to get him to, from you know, bailing out too early, which has happened, but he was better in, in the preseason game one. I don't think it's going to happen mm-hmm. by week one, but the, the signs that I'm concerned about at this point from getting Wilson from point A to point B is does he look like there's a problem with it? No. There looked like there was a clear effort by Wilson to work within the offensive system that is being designed and handed to him. That, to me, is just step one. Is there a willingness and an effort? And I think we did see that, so I think that bodes well. Now, the problem is last season was so disastrous, it's difficult to look at it and say, this is definitely because of a physical decline, or this is definitely because he was out of shape, or this is definitely because of coaching. It was so bad, you can't separate all those ingredients. It was just a gumbo of of terrible football. It's hard to tell what was in it. I'm not saying he was in great condition because they didn't run last year in training camp. So I don't think any of the starters between not running in practice and not playing in any of the games, I don't think any of the starters were in great shape, but he wasn't overweight at the start of the year. He wasn't. 
No, nobody raised that point until basically the year was over. And he did, as the year wore on, seem to put on weight. Now, he also missed some games. And when you're concussed, you go through protocol. And, yeah, you could put on a few pounds. And when you have a bad hamstring, you're not running very much, except on airplanes to London, <laughs> apparently, where you're doing high, high knee, kicks. knee kicks. Uh, now, and I think as the season wore on, and I, I think you'd agree with me, uh, I, I thought by the end of the year, he was about 15 pounds overweight and possibly a few pounds more. Then that sum up said 30, which is and, the, and that appears to all be actually And I don't alleviated. think he lost 30 pounds no, I, either. I don't either. I don't think because he, I don't think he, I don't think he was 30. that far over. I don't buy that. I no. think that was piling on. I don't think it was that much. And I do think he's he's lost it. Close to 15. I think it was roughly 15. I think you're right. And I think that that part has been solved. But the idea of, of these first couple of weeks, I agree. It's going to be difficult. You're not going to take something he's been doing for a decade in Seattle and then... It, I'm not saying you throw last year out. It was very real and happened. But if you're Sean Payton, you have to. He basically threw it out, and he said, let's start over right. with you and me. Right. So okay. I'm okay with and, saying, and, and, let's and do that. Again, try to be fair. He was running for his life last year. He's yeah. not running by and choice. Game, he was running by necessity. And in game one Much of the preseason of as well. And but, one, that's, that's what happened the other night. Um, I, I, I was a little disappointed with the first pass of the game and actually the first series because they went three and out. But I think the first pass that play but, was designed. He did throw behind Troutman, but yeah. that play was designed. Oh no, and listen, uh, we'll, we'll get into this later on. I'm beginning to think that Troutman is winning the job as opposed to Greg Dulcich losing the job. Agreed. But there is no doubt as we sit here on August 17th, mm-hmm. The number one tight end is Troutman. No, it is no not question. Dulcich. And he's not listed on the depth chart as such. But and I think Wilson is more comfortable from evidence in camp so far, both on the practice field and given the first play the other night, who was starting? It wasn't Dulcich. Who was the target of the first pass? Mm-hmm. It was Troutman, not Dulcich. The job is being won rather than it's being lost, in, in my opinion. And... To Sean Payton, Troutman's a guy who clearly is a better blocker than Dulcich and may not be as much of a deep downfield threat as Dulcich, but he's just as good a receiver in the short and intermediate areas. And Wilson seems to be comfortable throwing him the ball, at least on the practice field, from what we've seen Mm -hmm. and all this red zone stuff that we're hearing about. And uh, there was a piece in The Athletic today about the Broncos in the red zone and Pointed out, and again, your cautionary uh, uh, advice has been to uh, remember that Justin Simmons and Patrick Satan aren't going full speed, full bore on the practice field. Right. For much of training camp so far. And so it's funny how after they stopped practicing, that all of a sudden if they the red zone all, offense right. looked a lot better. And, and keep in mind, the Broncos, like every team, are – playing the most bland vanilla offense possible. I do expect Sean Payton to use two tight end sets, in which case Dulcich will be on there a lot and there sure. will be both. But yeah, I, I mean, I think the Troutman is winning the job and, and I think it's, look, Wilson has played 11 seasons. It's his job to adjust to his new starter. Uh, they have to work with, with each other. And I think when the first quote we played by Sean Payton today, 
Uh, Troutman has to as well. I don't think on the first play that was an issue, but there will be they will need time to get in sync like any other players will. And I'm not worried about that so much because Troutman is a veteran, as is Wilson. But the the breaking the bad habits part is going to be, as you said, I think, a, a situation will it will it will take a couple weeks. That's to be expected. I don't expect that to all work out immediately, but as long as the effort and the willingness is there, I feel that they'll get to where at least they can get, and we'll see where that is. But you and I definitely have differing visions on Wilson. I think we both agree that last year he was a bottom five quarterback in the NFL. I don't think there's any question about that. We both agree. He was terrible. A replacement level quarterback. Even even in areas where he had once been very, very, very strong. So there's, there's our baseline. We agree on that. Now, I don't think either of it, I know you don't, I, and I don't either. I don't think Russell Wilson, especially man, off the top of my head, I could say, okay, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Hurts, uh, Rogers, Herbert. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, I can probably name seven or eight quarterbacks right off out of the top ten, right off the top two of my head. Two in this division. Right, and two of them in this division, right off the top of my head. Uh, Lawrence. Uh, yes. There, there's eight right there. Just right off the top of my head, eight Lawrence in the top ten. Lawrence not, was not just a top ten, a top five quarterback he, after London He may end against up the Broncos that way this year. I yeah. think there's a very good chance. So I don't think Russell Wilson, I don't even think his ceiling is a top ten quarterback. And you don't either. Okay, so now we've got that. So so we're we're agreed on those two points. The the question is, where can Wilson hit? I believe he can be a top half. So I think his ceiling, if he gets right, is in that eleven to sixteen mm-hmm. range. Now, do you believe he can get there, or do you believe even that's a bridge too far based on what you saw last year and the fact he'll turn thirty five? I I would say, and this this would be generous. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I, I'm tempted to say 17 to 22, okay. not 20 to 25. I think he can jump into the top 20. That's barely where it is pretty much where I think most people have him now. And if you're one of the, if you're 18, 19, 20, you're, you're a tier three guy, maybe slightly on the upper edge of tier three, but more or less in the middle. I, I, I kind of think he has to, have the kind of season the Broncos need him to have. He needs to be a low-level Tier 2, but a Tier 2. He needs to be in Kirk Cousins' range. Okay, and that's okay. That's the that, that's, that's the 11 to 16 I'm talking about. Okay. Right? Not the not the uh, 17 to 22 you're, that, that you, well, no, you believe I, might be a season. I would say 15 to 20. Okay. I, okay. So I think that's okay. But more likely, you have him kind of at the top of the bottom your, half your, of the league. Your your floor right. is close to my ceiling. So we're not as far off so, as it uh, seems. Five. And you know, I I said a few weeks ago, I think when we had Eric on, that they needed to score a touchdown a game more. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I I also added just to be average. Uh, Point of fact, 22 points a game was average mm-hmm. last year, not 24. However, would you agree with me that this offense has to improve by roughly, roughly a touchdown a game, not a field goal a game, 
closer to a touchdown per game if if they want to be a winning team. And that's not even me saying make the playoffs. If they want to get to 9-8, and eight, and maybe that gets them in the playoffs, and maybe it doesn't. And I suggest this year it probably wouldn't. That's but, over 100 more points scored. Right. Well, and, and I but I agree with you. I think if the average is, let's say the average is still roughly 22. They, they average 17. Uh, touchdown more gets them to 24. So you're a little bit over average. Uh, I, th- I think if they have yeah, aspirations of being 9-8, and eight, I think they have to. Yeah, I think that's a touchdown. And, and I will better. go back and we'll do this for tomorrow's show. Or maybe I guess I we did can it say a few months ago. Six points a game better. However, they. But get I want to see there. what the average of playoff teams was last year. Not not conference semifinalists. Not conference championship yeah. game participants. I believe not Super Bowl. I do not I have it in front of me. Whole I believe I did that team. last year, and it was closer. I believe it was twenty six point something. Okay, it was close to twenty seven think they have to necessarily go there and i don't think that's because reasonable. i think they'll give up as you pointed out yesterday within the division weren't they the team that gave up the fewest mm-hmm. points yes so yeah. i i don't think they have to get to 26 to be in the playoffs but i do think even with a pretty good defense and i'll say you know borderline top 10 defense Sure. Uh, all around the lake. I don't think they're top five. I don't. I think, think that's unfair. You get it with two stars, and they're both in the secondary. And a pass rush that is all about yeah. promise over production. Exactly. Yes. Now, maybe they hit I, it. I, I think it needs to be 24 for them to get into the playoffs. I'll and go a frankly, little lower. I'll say it's I'm 23 not, because it's easier to come up with six points. There's a couple different ways to do it. Yeah. But we're yeah, splitting hands. Right. But, um, again, to give Jeff Legwald his props, um, ESPN did a kind of mid-preseason analysis of the 32 teams in terms of ceiling and floor projections. And Legwald did something that uh, I'm sorry I didn't think of or you didn't think of because we, we kind of think in these ways. Here's what he did. He took McGlinchey and Bowles, the two tackles, Gregory and Clark, the two veteran edge rushers. And in every evaluation, there was a key factor or number. And so I'm reading it. And, you know, right below Denver Broncos, ceiling 11 and 6, floor 6 and 11. Right before that, Key factor, 60. I say, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Right. It means 60 games combined this year. Played by McGlinchey, Bowles, Gregory, and Clark. Be mindful of the fact that that would be 15 per. Gregory has never played 15 games as a professional in his life. Clark has been hurt for much of training camp and was one of the few starters who didn't play a single snap on Friday night in Arizona. Bowles played five games last year coming off a broken leg and looked like he was still playing on one leg the other night. People were going around him left and right. McGlinchey is out with a strained knee at the present time. Now, he's scheduled to come back on opening day, and there's no reason to think that they can't get 15 games out of McGlinchey, who's been nothing, if nothing else, durable through most of his professional career. 
if you had to characterize him, is it durable or a little? And by the iffy. way, he's been out on the you practice field already, already working I, I, out I know, conditioning. Right, I know, but McGlinchey, fifteen games, I can buy. Bowles, who had never been on injured reserve until last year, fifteen games. I don't know how good they'll be, but fifteen games I can buy. Gregory, fifteen games. That's I'm saying right. no yeah. way. I, yeah. Clark, Gregory, fifteen games. That. I'm saying no way. But that's Jeff's analysis. If they're going to hit their ceiling or anything close to it, these four guys who have all been around and have established reputations and records, they have to play combined 60 games. And I thought that's an interesting, you know, it's a departure from the usual. Russell Wilson has to put up these kinds of numbers. Javante uh, Williams has to play and, uh, you know, gain 1,200 yards if the Broncos are going to be the kind of running team they want to be. Uh, the guards have to play maybe one at a Pro Bowl, if not an all-pro level, and that would be minors. You know, all these things we talk about. But to name these four guys and say, again, I don't want to hear about how good they are. I want to see them on the field for 15 games. That, I mean, that's even a fair point because we've seen what's behind them. And, and that was part of his point, too. The Broncos have no depth. Certainly not on the offensive side. They don't side. have any depth. And on the defensive side, if uh, Nick Benito really doesn't blossom, you're in trouble because there's not a lot there either. Uh, we'll take a look at more of this as it goes along. Uh, talked about the idea of, you know, what can help with the offense. Well, Javante Williams can help. And also, Sean Payton had an opportunity to talk about what his expectations are for Williams. But not only that, the idea that he's a two-running-back type of guy. He addressed that as well. We'll hear from him next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy, we know that in game to talk about anticipated occurrence, we talked about Russell Wilson last week and how we might look under Sean Payton, but Javante Williams, who, by the way, uh, the shorthand for people saying coming back from the ACL injury, more accurately coming back from the ACL injury, PCL injury, and LCL injury, that's three of the four uh, CLs, by the way, for those um, in the really weird abbreviation part, the C doesn't mean the same thing in all of them. <laughs> as oddly as it is, the uh, anterior cruciate ligament is the C in that one. Right. The uh, PCL is the posterior, posterior crucial ligament, right? Cruciate ligament. Yeah. But the LCL and MCL, the C is collateral. Lateral collateral, so it's and two medial and two. collateral, two and two. two but and two. he got he got, he got uh, two three of the but four three in of the four. total, and expected to be back and playing in this game. And uh, give Sean Payton and the Broncos credit. We had questions about this when we first heard at the very first OTAs that they thought he'd be ready for training camp and ready by week one. Week one seemed ambitious based on the news that we had heard after the injury and even after the initial surgery. But sure enough, here it is, and Sean Payton today told you specifically about the idea of working with two running backs. Of course, Samaje P. Ryan added, and his expectations for Javante Williams against the Niners. I don't know. People say he runs a dual-back system. I, I just think there's a lot of attrition on a runner 
in our league. And so over the years, we've had kind of a joker player and Bush and Sproles, Kamara. Those guys are running backs, and yet they do some other things in the passing game that, you know, that give them that tag. Um, so you could call it change of pace type player. Um, certainly McLaughlin's one of those candidates where he's a different style runner. Um, you know, all these guys that are healthy are going to play in this game. I think um, Javon will be somewhere around 10 to 12 plays. One, uh, congratulations on Julian McLaughlin, who ended up sneaking a mention in there. That's not nothing. That's but. not nothing. And, <laughs> and I think it's interesting because he characterizes him correctly in, in different my opinion, of, yeah. because he's different. He, he, he runs differently. He brings a different skill set. A different assortment of skills. Apologies to, to the, the guys ahead position. of him on the depth chart, Tyler Bader, well, Tony Jones, and Dwayne Washington. Um, they did not get mentioned. Listen, of the tease, our friend Chris Thomason, who gave at best a lukewarm endorsement of McLaughlin yeah. yesterday on a program, uh, the coach teams weren't bullish I, on him. And I thought course, after game one, he's making the 53. That's the opinion that counts. And I, I, I'm i with you on that. I, I like him. I think he's making I, it. And I don't go by what running backs do on a practice field that they, they can't get tackled. I like the fact he carried four times for 20 yards, scored a touchdown, and caught a screen pass and made 12 yards out of it. Now, he, he I, I fumbled, like and it was lucky now, he got that go out of bounds. Which, but then again, which the coach pointed first out. First NFL appearance. The coach pointed out he got lucky on a fumble that mm-hmm. it bounced out, out of, of bounds bounce. instead of bouncing in the other direction back in the field of play. And I, I mean, that's okay. And I, I, I went back and looked at the play a few times. And he got, he, he got, was kind of sort of going out of bounds, and I don't know how the ball could have it, bounced it really probably in a different be. direction No, on the way it did bounce, in fact. But in any case... Uh, that's big. Um, the the point he makes about Reggie Bush, for example, Reggie Bush one year caught 88 passes. Wow. More than anybody on right. their team by a mile. And he gained almost 1,000 yards. He, he was more of a receiver than he was a ball carrier. No question. I, I would say on Alvin Kamara, though, he carried the ball 240 times two years right. ago. I don't know how much of a change well, of pace or especially. And I, and I think that was he really his is. point. Now he can catch the ball. Oh, yeah. He's a yeah. great He's back. A Alvin Kamara has for, I don't know, four years, five years at least, been one of the top five running backs in the league for precisely that reason. Yeah. Because he can carry the ball 240 times in a season and stay healthy. And he can catch the ball uh, maybe 50 times. So that's close to 300 touches. And I think that's that, I think very that was unusual his for point any back. Was that the assumption that, well, Sean Payton runs a two back set? Well, I think what Payton was trying to point out is he's like, I can and I have, yeah. but it doesn't mean well, I'm 100% married to it's it. It's the Bill Walsh theory. Bill Walsh had a two running back system when he didn't have a great back. And Bill Walsh said, running backs are a dime a dozen apart from the truly great ones, and the truly great ones, you ride as long as you can. That was the Mike Shanahan theory. We saw Mike Shanahan run Terrell Davis as often as he possibly could because you're talking about a Hall of Famer. We also saw Mike Shanahan in a year in which it seemed about seven different running backs got hurt have collectively one of the leading, if not the leading total in rushing yards in all of the NFL. 
without a single back, I'd have to go back and look. And and maybe you can do that from, I think it was, was it 07 or 08, the year all the backs got hurt? They led the league in rushing. The uh, the idea and that... nobody had 500 yards. Right. And, that's, and that turns out to be okay. And that's kind of his point because you have a couple years that Peyton was coaching with uh, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, by the way, uh, part of that as well. And, and by the way, also noting in 2019, Dwayne Washington, who the Broncos just brought in right. this week. But uh, you had a, a season in 2019, for example, where Kamara had 171 carries for 797 and five touchdowns. Murray had 146 for 637 and five touchdowns. The difference, and and both these guys caught passes. Murray caught forty, or caught, pardon me, caught thirty-four passes. Murray's good receiver, but Kamara caught eighty-one and ended up with another five hundred thirty-three yards and a thirteen thirty-yard for scrimmage total. And so, I, I think Payton's point is: one, it's a physical position, and you need two backs, one way or the other, and they don't have to always do the same thing. And I think it's not so much that that Payton's point, the idea when people say, "Well, he runs a two-back set," I think he pushed back against that suggesting that I do what my roster calls for. Yeah, right, which any sensible coach does. Correct. I, I do want to say one more thing about Latavius Murray. Because we pointed out, you know, in that silly sideline fracas they had at SoFi last year when mm-hmm. they're getting pounded 51-14, to 14, you'd think they'd be worried about things other than, of course, that's uh, usually you know, personal slouch. But, uh, it, you know, it, it, you'd think. Um Latavius Murray was by and large a peacemaker, but he was the one guy in the team who finally called Dalton Reisner on his bull spin. Dalton Reisner have a job yet? Just checking. But he does, I, does he? I thought, you know, a guy was the local yokel around here, and a teammate finally called him on it when he was all, all Brett Rippon. I, I went back and research this again because your memory plays tricks on it and mm-hmm. of course there isn't a lot i remember about the 51 14 game except it was baker mayfield at quarterback for the rams it yeah. wasn't matthew stafford and so i went back and and looked at that what brett rippon did i mean russell wilson was spending most of the game either running for his life or flat on his back or his rear end all Brett Rippon did was go up to the offensive line when they're on the sidelines and say, fellas, could you at least help him up after he's gotten knocked down? And it reminded me of the Dion thing yesterday at practice yeah, up in Boulder later, yeah. when Dion said, if, if one guy fights, all of you on the same side have to join. We'll have in. more of that later. Okay, we'll have more on that yeah. later. If you can't even forget about pass blocking better, if you don't even have the gumption to help your quarterback get up after he's been flattened, thanks in no small measure to your inefficiency or incompetence, and you can't even help him up. That's what Brett Rippon said. Brett Rippon did not go and critique the offensive line on its pass blocking right. uh, deficiencies. He wasn't doing that. So, and, and Dalton Reisner, the the team guy, team first guy, what a gold plated phony he's always been. Uh, he gets up and 
basically takes a swing at Rippon, at which point Murray comes over and basically tells Reisner where to get off. We'll see Rippon back in a couple of weeks because he's with the Los Angeles Rams now. And uh, Latavius he is, Murray, I think that, that's, that's by good, the way, with, the, uh, in Buffalo, right? with his equivalent hometown Bills uh, from your yeah. neck of the woods, Nedro, New York, where Latavius Murray hails from and, and played all his childhood ball. Uh, okay. So he's uh, I might just have outside Syracuse. And so I, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not really. I mean, that's I'm where from I went Colorado. to school. All of New York seems like New York. Well, well and, and, no, no. <laughs> and, and most people think all of New York is New York City. Right. Yeah. And, and New York City there's is New York a City, small and then there's portion upstate. of There's upstate, and then there's really the, what they call the North Country. And Syracuse really isn't Rochester, Buffalo. That's Western New York. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, to, that's a Western New York town. Kind of better places. I, and, I agree, and, and, and he'll through. be a fan favorite there because uh, he's a really good guy, yeah. and he's a he's a very solid player. And I was shocked, having played for Sean Payton before, that Sean Payton I'm, didn't seem to want him. I'm stunned. By the way, 6,252 total rushing yards since 2014 among active running backs. The only guys ahead of him, Zeke Elliott, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. That's it. Uh, Latavius Murray probably will be a very good fit up there. When you are injured, and hopefully you're not, but it happens. When you're injured, you want to make sure that you get things right as quickly as possible, and that means you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. That's BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is 720-845-7001. You need a winner. That's what they do. That's all they do. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. They're easy to find. They're all the way along the front range. Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, right here in the DTC, Colorado Springs, even up north in Cheyenne. And when you're injured, they're doing what's best for you, getting you that maximum recovery as quickly as they can, whether that means it's by settlement or by trial. So if you're injured, you need help and you need it now. Don't hire someone off a billboard. Hire someone who you know gets the wins. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. One, we'll talk more about the Broncos. As we mentioned, by the way, Julian McLaughlin, friend Cody Rourke was on him about as early as anybody in town. He'll join us to talk all the latest about the Denver Broncos from LA Sports next.